You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We've been kind of working our way through a series on being out of options. And have you ever faced a situation where you kind of just felt like you're boxed in and maybe there's like no way out? You're maybe coming at the end of the month, but uh, you've already come to the end of your money. You know, maybe your rent is due, the electricity bills due, and it just sometimes kind of feels like there's just no way out of this situation. Maybe you've applied for four different jobs and been rejected by all of them. And maybe for some of you, there's just no way in. Uh, Maybe you feel like you are hopeless maybe hooked on drugs or pornography, alcohol, maybe bitterness, and you just think there's no way through that. You're in what we would kind of call a predicament. And it's amazing all the ways that we kind of use to describe those situations that we can find ourselves in. Uh, We'll use words like, you know, up a creek without a paddle, we're in a jam. Uh, Some of us like that phrase, I'm in between a rock and a hard place. Um, You're just kind of in that proverbial catch 22. And it just appears as if no matter what you do, which path you take, which option uh, you have before you, you are still trapped. And, and it's what we kind of describe in a word, a predicament. And it can be related to your job, to your marriage, to your kids, uh, to something that you're dealing with personally. But you, again, you just kind of feel like you're in a really tight space and there's just no way out. The best definition of a predicament I have read is a predicament occurs when an attorney specializing in suing doctors for medical malpractice and then finds himself in need of major surgery. (laughs) Now that is a huge predicament, right? Well, we've been in this series that we have been uh, calling out of options. And again, as you go through life, we just inevitably find ourselves uh, sometimes in situations, circumstances, maybe of our own making, uh, where it just appears again that we're just totally out of options. And what we have been saying this entire time, again, is very, very simple. With God, we are never out of options. With God, there is always another way. And today we're going to probably look at one of the greatest catch-22s perhaps anyone ever faced in history. It is the most involved predicament the nation of Israel would ever see, and yet they live to tell about it to this day. It's become one of the most celebrated events in Jewish history. And two words are all you need to know the Exodus. And we're going to pick up the story in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pihathoroth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal-Saphon. Now the problem was Baal-Saphon was kind of this geographical cul-de-sac. Do you all know what a cul-de-sac is? Yeah, it's kind of like a court. Uh, And again, it's a dead-end street. And here's what the Israelites faced. To to the north were kind of these huge Egyptian fortresses. They were these massive stone structures that could not be overcome or attacked. To the south lay nothing but Egyptian desert. There was no protection, no water, no food. To the west of them was Pharaoh, Egypt, and his army. To the east lay the Red Sea, which we kind of call today the Gulf of Suez. Now, it was a catch-22 of 22s. If they went in any direction, they were going to die. They were kind of dressed up but had no place to go. 
Now, normally, I would spoil the ending by telling you what happens, but a lot of you already know it. It's one of those, uh, you know, if you're one of those few that don't, you remember God parts the Red Sea and the children of Israel just walk through on dry ground. And then you remember God closes the sea back down and he drowns the Egyptian army and saves the day. Now, I believe that this story literally happened uh, the way scripture says it happened. And even though I've heard many, many other you know, theories uh, that try to water it down, you know, no pun intended. Um, there's one scholar who decided that he would kind of try to enlighten a friend of his. And this friend of his was not well educated. And so he told him, you know, well, he says, you know, you understand the Red Sea was really only six inches deep. It really wasn't a sea at all. It was kind of like, you know, just kind of a, a, a crick and uh, expecting uh, just a really strong counter argument, the scholar was really surprised when his friend said, really? I mean, that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard uh, in my life. And, and the scholar was kind of surprised, and he said, so you like that explanation? And the man said, man, you better believe it. I never realized the Lord drowned all those armies of Egypt in six inches of water. What a miracle. And again, oftentimes, we're always trying to explain away or we're trying to deny uh, the miracle. Now, again, I believe it is important to remember when we're out of options and that is when we've done all that we can do, all that is possible on our part, oftentimes that's where God steps in and God does what is impossible. God never expects us to do what only he can do, but God does expect us to do what we can do on our end and leave the rest to him. So when you're in over your head and you feel like you're just about to drown, I want you to remember here are three things that you need to do. The first thing is go where God leads you to go. Okay, now again, you got to just keep in mind where the Israelites are at in their history, okay? They've been living in Egypt for 430 years. All the Israelites God is about to deliver through Moses, they haven't known anything but slavery, okay? They have long forgotten God. They had certainly never experienced the power, the presence of God their ancestors once had. I mean, they weren't living like Israelites at all. They were more Egyptian to the core. They ignored God, and they're coming to this place now where they're going to need to begin to learn to love God and to trust him. And we need to go back and see exactly how the enslaved Israelites ended up with their backs against the Red Sea. Exodus 13, 18 says, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now again, look at that phrase in verse 18. God led the people toward the Red Sea. Okay, they hadn't made a mistake. They had not taken a wrong turn. They had not made a miscalculation. God purposely, according to his plan, led them to this dead end. Now, now why does God do that to them? Why does God do that to us sometimes? Why does God lead us into places where there seems to be no way out? Sometimes God will lead us to a dead end so we'll be forced to trust him and follow him for a way out. 
There's one school that uh, God enrolls you in, and, and you'll never, ever graduate from this school in this life, and it's called the school of faith. Faith is not a talent you are born with. Faith is a lesson you learn, and God is the professor. And you never, ever quit learning to trust him. Now, that was the bad news. God had led them to the Red Sea, but here's the good news. Exodus 14, 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Again, it's important. God never, ever leads us in that God doesn't go before us and prepare the way. If you follow God, he goes with you, if not before you. If you don't follow God, you're kind of just on your own. But you're going to see in just a moment, there are times where God may lead you to a place of, you know, for you it seems despair, a place of maybe you seem hopeless, maybe you kind of seem out of options, you kind of just feel desperate. And again, you may stay there until you make it a place of complete dependence. Every day from the time your feet hit the floor, it needs to just be a declaration of your dependence on God to get you through whatever you may face this day. You've got to depend upon God not only to lead you wherever it is he wants you to go, but make a way out once you get there. And again, you, you cannot cross the Red Sea until you come to the Red Sea. Again, oftentimes, we'll, we'll never ever fully experience the greatness of God, the power of God, and the love of God, the glory of God, until sometimes we allow God to put us in a place where only God can make a way out. Most of the time, again, we just want to play it safe with God. We just need to remember that he can resolve the catch-22 that is why the greatest way to know God and to experience God is to follow God wherever he leads you. Second thing is, do what God tells you to do. Go where he leads you to go and do what he tells you to do. This is a place in the story where the Israelites, I mean, they're hearing, okay, the hooves of the horses thundering down upon them. I mean, they could see the spears and the swords kind of gleaming in the sun. They could feel the heat of the fire coming out of the eyes of the Pharaoh himself. And it looks like they're literally in the last moments of their lives with no way out. Now, again, if you're Moses, how would you respond? Again, we might be tempted, you know, to wave the white flag of surrender. We might be tempted just to yell, run for your lives or every man for themselves. Some of us would be tempted maybe to look up to heaven and say, this is another fine mess you've gotten me into. But how does Moses respond? Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not. Fear not. Can you imagine maybe what the people are thinking as they hear Moses say that? Fear not. Fear not, is that all you've got? We're about to be crushed by Pharaoh's army or thrown into the Red Sea and all you're telling us is to fear not? It gets better. Moses isn't done. Listen to what else he says there in verse 13. Stand firm. Man, that sometimes is where we miss it. We're in a situation, things get tough, things get hot, and we run the opposite direction of where God is leading or telling us to go. And then sometimes you just got to dig your heels in and you have got to stand firm. 
Don't move. Stay right there. God is about to move. Oftentimes, we're the ones that, that move. Again, sometimes you just got to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Oftentimes, we don't see the salvation of the Lord because we're running. We're scared. We're not trusting God. And man, sometimes you just got to stand firm and see, witness the salvation of the Lord. Again, it, I know it can sound like one of those pep talks or, you know, you're kind of a motivational speaker. You know, be confident, fear not, don't run, be calm, stand still, you know, be confident. But why does Moses give them that kind of advice when the heat is on and the end is near? And again, it's in those moments you cannot panic. You're tempted to. It seems like the natural thing to do, but you just cannot give in to fear and panic. You've got to listen to the voice of God. You've got to do what he's telling you to do. He'll show you what to do, but once you've, all, once you've done all you know to do, then you've just simply got to stand firm and see what God is about to do. What I love about that word salvation that Moses uses there in verse 13 is it's one of those words that mean several different things. The word salvation, it also means peace, deliverance, wholeness, and healing. So there in verse 13, Moses is proclaiming to the Israelites, stand firm and you'll see the peace of God. You'll see your fear give way to the peace of God, but you got to stand firm. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. This is what he means by salvation. We're going to be delivered. Stand firm. You're going to see the healing of the Lord. Now, they certainly did see the deliverance of the Lord, and they certainly experienced the healing of the Lord. As a matter of fact, Psalm 105, verse 37, referring to the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, it says, God also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Talking about the 12 tribes of Israel there, the nation of Israel, there was none feeble among them. Other translations for the word feeble use sick or weak or stumbling. So as the nation of Israel goes forth from Egypt, there were no sick, weak, or feeble ones among them. This again is the testimony of them seeing the salvation of the Lord, the healing of the Lord in their midst. One translation puts it this way, then God led the Israelites out and they carried silver and gold and all of them were healthy and strong. So Jehovah is a God of salvation, of peace, of deliverance, of wholeness, and of healing for his people. Now it's interesting because most Bible scholars estimate there were between two to three million Israelites that were part of the Exodus. Can you wrap your mind around a group, a crowd that large, two to three million people? Think what a testimony that would be of God's power and promises for that many people and for there to be no sickness, no weakness, no feebleness among any of them. So again, when we're experiencing fear and worry, anxiety, oppression, sickness, disease, or weakness, we just need to stand firm. We just need to be confident and we just need to see the Lord's peace, his deliverance, and his healing, just like the Israelites did there in Egypt. 
So again, when we do what God tells us to do, again, we'll experience those same blessings of God. When we choose to stand firm on what God says, we can be assured that God will move on our behalf. Again, this is a component of biblical faith. Biblical faith, I mean God-pleasing faith, comes when we not only hear what God says, but then we just walk in obedience to what he says. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So again, until you hear the word of God, until you hear what God is saying, there's nothing to put your faith in. Okay, faith would not be possible. It wouldn't even be necessary until or unless God spoke. But once we hear God speak, we have the opportunity to attain faith by hearing and coming into agreement with what he has spoken. So biblical faith, for that to be operative, for that to be effective in our lives, we need to both hear what God says, and then we need to follow that up with obedience to what we've heard. So in Exodus 14, 15, it says, then the Lord said, he's speaking to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. You ever done that with God before? You're crying out to God, and God's saying, what are you crying out to me for? I already told you what to do. I already gave you the answer. I already gave you instructions. Some, some of you, God, you've heard, you know what God wants you to do. And you're standing there saying, well, God, why haven't you done this? And God's looking back at you and saying, well, why haven't you done what I've told you to do? Why are you crying out to me? Why are you asking me for help? I've already sent you the help. Why are you asking me for an answer? I've already sent you the answer. It says, tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. So Moses is told here by God exactly what he needs to do. Wasn't a guessing game. God tells Moses exactly what to do. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and I'll part it. So there you have the word of God, the instruction of God. Now Moses' response to God's word is found in Exodus 14, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, that's just like God told him to. And the Lord swept back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. So what do you think would have happened if Moses just would have stood there and not lifted up his hands, not done what God told him to do? Nothing. So many of you, you're kind of just standing there with the staff in your hand. You've got the word of God. You've got the instruction of God. You know what God wants you to do. And you're kind of just standing there waiting for God to do what God says he's going to do. And it's kind of like a game of chess. It's your move. And once Moses did what God said, once he just, again, he heard the instruction of God, did he not? And once he acted and did what God said he would do, what does God do? God parts the sea. If you look at verses 26 and 27, you'll see that God did the same exact thing when he closed the sea in on the Egyptian army. God told Moses, lift up your hands again and, and just close in the sea. 
So he tells Moses what to do. Moses does what God tells him to do, and God does what he says he's going to do. That is biblical faith. Faith is simply doing what God has told us to do. So whenever you encounter a Red Sea in your life, just listen for the voice of the Lord. He'll lead you through it. He'll tell you what to do. And as you hear him, just, again, do what he's telling you to do. I know one of my biggest Red Sea moments was right before we started this church, Praise Community Church. Prior to that, we were serving in the United Methodist Church here in Mason City. Janie and I, we were both ordained elders, which meant among many things. We would always have a guaranteed appointment in the United Methodist Church. We had a parsonage, a house was provided for us. We had great health care, awesome pension, four weeks paid vacation, but we didn't feel very fulfilled there. And that we no longer felt like we were where God wanted us to be. Now there's a lot more to this story and some of you were with us throughout that whole ordeal. But suffice it to say that once we made the decision to leave the United Methodist Church, there was no going back. And we really at that point weren't really sure what our way was forward. Uh, When we were initially offered this position, we turned it down because we really didn't feel like we wanted to stay in in, in the same town where we had left uh, another church. And so Praise Community Church was just starting and we had absolutely no guarantee that this was going to work out. I mean, there were maybe 16 families that had, had started this church. They had nothing to start with. We had no building, no money, no resources, no congregation outside of the 16 families uh, who had started this church. And we were literally starting from scratch. So I'm in this struggle because... You know, I'm being offered another position in the United Methodist Church, um, and, and so I could take that, I could take that position, I could take the known. I knew what I had here. I had no idea, no guarantees what we were going to have with Praise Community Church. So I just remember that struggle of just leaving the known for the unknown, and I knew what I had if I stayed with the Methodist church. So I kept thinking, what if this doesn't work out? Then what? You know, should I go? Should I stay? I mean, if this doesn't work out, these people, they already have jobs. They'll just go and find another church but I would be out of a job. And so like those Israelites, I just remember this feeling. It was like a couple of weeks of just going back and forth, that that feeling of fear, of worry, of anxiety, even though their predicament obviously was much, much worse and much dire than mine. And I remember one day the Lord told me, finally God kind of broke through, and I remember God saying to me, if you stay in the United Methodist Church or you go with this new church start, Either way, I'm going to bless you. I was relieved when I heard God say that. But he said, but the greater blessing will be with Praise Community Church. So there's just kind of this, okay, do I I step into the unknown and trust that that this is going to be a greater blessing? And again, in that moment, God just gave me the confidence I needed to trust him in that situation, and that's how I ended up here at Praise. 
Again, God was so faithful through those times of challenges and changes. But you know what? It just, it, it involved me having to step out. It involved me having to obey and to do what God was telling me to do. So we just need to trust that God will be faithful to his promises when we commit ourselves to doing what God wants us to do. Third thing, believe what God says he will do. Let's just set up the final scene of the story. God has set the hook himself. Verse four, God's speaking. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they did so. Now again, God was not gonna make it easy on the Israelites to make their escape. Now, why does God do that? Well, if, if God would have found an easy way, they would have probably just taken the credit themselves. They would just kind of think, oh, we did this on our own. Aren't we clever? Aren't we smart? Okay? They would get the glory, pat themselves on the back, and once again, God would kind of be left out in the cold. Again, God always has a method to his madness. Okay? We read verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihotharoth in the front of Baal-Siphon. He has 600 of his selected chariots being ridden by the best officers in the Egyptian army. I mean, these are army rangers. This is Pharaoh's Delta Force, the Navy SEALs, the special forces. Pharaoh had sent his absolute best so Israel could experience their absolute worst. He had Israel right where God wanted them. And all God says to Moses is, face the Red Sea and march forward. Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Do you realize no nation had ever done this before? This is the first time an entire nation marched out from under the bondage of another nation without firing a shot, thrusting a spear, or drawing a sword. Moses had certainly never led an exodus before. As a matter of fact, you may remember, he didn't want to do this in the first place. The schools didn't give a degree in exodology. There were no maps, no three-ring binder with, you know, photocopied step-by-step -step instructions. There was no book entitled Exodus for Dummies. You couldn't go to the internet and look up how to do an exodus. There's nothing to do now except do what God told them to do and believe that God would do what he said he would do. And you probably know the story again. Moses lifts up his rod over the sea. God parts it, and there's just this gigantic wall of water on either side. Two to three million Israelites make their way onto dry ground, and the Egyptian army follows like lambs going into the slaughter. God removes his hand, that divine dam breaks, the water covers the Egyptian army, and they are all drowned. Now that's not really anywhere near the end of the story because the greatest thing that really happened was not the parting of the Red Sea or the Red Sea closing. Here's why this is one of the greatest stories in the Bible and why it's still celebrated among the Jewish people today and why we should celebrate it as followers of Christ. God kept every promise that he made. The Egyptians were wiped out just as God said they would be. God said he would be glorified and the Egyptians would know 
that he is Lord. Go back to verse 25 and listen to what these Egyptians said in their last words just before they died. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for Yahweh, that is the name that they use there in the, in the Hebrew, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. For the first time, these pagan Egyptians had acknowledged the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses had even called him by his name, Yahweh. More than that, for the first time, the nation of Israel had come home to their God. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord Yahweh used against the Egyptians. So the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. In 430 years of forgetting God, they have come back now as a nation to believing God. What did they learn and what have we learned? When you're in a catch-22 and you're in a situation that you just think is out of your control, you're in over your head, remember, it is always firmly in God's control. God has a plan. God has a purpose for where you're at and what you're going through. Do you believe that? God has a purpose. God has a plan for where you're at this morning and what you're going through. When there's no other place to look, you can always look up. Not a single Egyptian lived through that ambush, and not a single Hebrew got even a scratch. So they walk along the seashore, and they just see it's just littered with all of these dead Egyptian bodies. Yet they hadn't killed a single man. They hadn't fought a single battle. They didn't use a single sword. They followed where God led them to go, did what God told them to do, and believed what God said he would do. That isn't really even the end of the story. Now Moses has the task. You know, the Egyptians, they're dead. They're no longer a threat. And Moses has the task of leading now anywhere from two to three million people through a wilderness. Now stop and think what that would require. They estimate 15,000 tons of food every day, enough food that would require two freight trains one mile long to feed them. Try to get your mind wrapped around what it was going to take. This nation of two to three million people Four tons of firewood every day, which would fill a few freight trains each a mile long. And this would need to be done for 40 years. It would take 11 million gallons of water to drink and bathe, which again would take a freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long. Now just to get that many people across the Red Sea in one night, if they marched double file the line would be 800 miles long and would require 30 days and nights to get through it. To walk through in one night as they did, okay, they had to walk 5,000 abreast in a three-mile wide space in that sea. Every time they camped, they would need a campground two-thirds the size of Rhode Island, 750 square miles. Let me ask you this question. You take all of that into consideration, do you think Moses had all of this figured out before he left? Do you think the thought had even occurred to him 
I mean, I'm guessing once the sea is kind of closed behind them, the Egyptians are dead, I'm guessing it almost kind of suddenly dawns on Moses, "Uh uh-oh, wow. What in the world was God doing? What in the world was Moses going to do? Again, he was just going to go where God led him to go, do what God told him to do, and believing that God would do what he said he would do. Maybe that's where you kind of feel like this morning in whatever situation or predicament you are in. Maybe right now you're just kind of trying, you're just thinking through all of the things that are going to need to happen all of the things that are going to need to be provided in order for you to get out of the situation, the predicament you're in. And you just kind of feel overwhelmed. You kind of just feel paralyzed. You kind of feel maybe like Moses felt when he's thinking, man, where are we going to get the water, the food, the firewood? Where where are we going to get all of this? I mean, these needs, they're, they're, they're too huge. Again, you're right where God wants you to be this morning because he has a plan. He has a purpose for where you're at and what you're going through. And what God is asking you this morning is will you just stand firm? And will you just allow, will you just see the salvation, the deliverance, the peace, the wholeness, the uh, healing of the Lord? Will you just stand firm and just do what God says to do, go where God leads you to go, and just believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do? Again, all we got to do is just stand firm. Fear not. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we just thank you so much this morning. And Father, we just pray this morning, I especially pray for those people here this morning that maybe kind of feel they're having a Red Sea moment in their life. They kind of feel backed into a corner. They feel overwhelmed. They feel paralyzed by what they're going through or maybe what they're facing this morning. And God, they just feel like there's no way out. There's no option God, this morning, I just pray, Lord, that again, you would just give them the boldness, the courage to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Not to run, not to give in to fear, but just to stand firm on your word, to stand firm on your promises, to stand firm on your presence. God, you have not left us. You have not abandoned us, that God, you are there, you are with us, you are for us, you have gone before us, and God, you are going to make a way. God, I don't know, it doesn't matter what they're facing, it doesn't matter how overwhelming those odds may seem right now. We just saw in a story where there were overwhelming odds against the nation of Israel, and yet, God, you had a plan, you had a way. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that you would just give that same faith to just stand firm that you gave to Moses, that you would just give to us that same courage 
that God, we're not going to look around. We're just going to look up. We're going to fix our eyes, our focus upon you. We're going to just remember your promises. We're going to remember your past goodness, your past faithfulness to us. And God, we're going to fix our eyes and we're going to focus on that this morning. And just trust that God, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're at, you're with us and you have a plan. So Father, I just thank you for again, just this, this reminder of what you've done for the nation of Israel, God. It is again a reminder of what you want to do for us and you will do for us. So God, again, we just stand and we fix our eyes and our focus upon you this morning. And we just thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that your plan is for our hope, for our well-being, not our calamity, not our destruction. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.